So we've spent the last three weeks um, hearing about Jacob, and now we're going to be moving on to Jacob's sons, including Joseph, through the book of Genesis 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flock near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They had moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take this life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said to this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, "'What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood?' Come, let's see him. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is a brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up and out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. 
When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robes, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on a sackcloth, and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Thanks so much for reading for us, Jenny. Uh, you know how you have those memories that sort of uh, fix, yourself, uh, fix themselves in your brain really clearly. Uh, one of those for me, I think I was about 20, uh, I was swimming down in, in summer, down near Victor Harbour, uh, and I can remember very clearly suddenly feeling, oh, I'm a bit further out from the beach than I thought I was, and putting my feet down and kind of thinking, oh, I can't feel the bottom anymore, and waves are coming through, and suddenly I was thinking, oh, I'm actually in a little bit of trouble here. Uh, and the thing that really has fixed itself strongly in my mind is uh, the feeling of looking up and seeing the lifesavers on the beach and knowing, oh, I could, I could wave my hands around here and get their attention, but something inside of me just said, no, I don't, I don't need to do that. There's no way I'm going to ask for help. I don't want to admit that I'm in trouble here. I don't want to show weakness. I want to show that I can, I can handle this. And, and, and in the end, that, to be fair, that is, that is what happened. I managed to sort of uh, swim just over to a sandbar and I sort of rested for a bit and then I, I caught a wave back in and that you know, that sounds dramatic. The whole thing was probably over in a minute um, and no one else probably even noticed anything. But I think uh, why that memory has fixed itself in my brain is that reaction that I had. Uh, there is a tendency inside of us, I think, that makes us prefer not to ask for help. Uh, maybe that's slightly more of a blokey thing, but we don't want to show weakness. We, we, we want to be able to say that we can get out of situations uh, on our own. Well, we are looking at the book of Genesis at the moment, the first book of the Bible, and Genesis has been showing us again and again and again that in this world of chaos, in this world of sin, we don't have what it takes to rescue ourselves. We don't have what it takes to make this world right again. We need help. We need God's help. We need his blessing, his rescue. And nowhere in Genesis does this come together more clearly than in this last story of the book, the story of Joseph that we're beginning to look at today. A bit like the story of Jacob that we've done over the last three weeks, the story of Joseph and his brothers is a gripping story. I'm sure even as Jenny was reading for us, you picked that up, didn't you? Mysterious dreams, betrayal, tension. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, we'll meet kings and rulers, we'll meet slaves and prisoners, we'll see uh, the adventure span across different countries, there's seduction, there's brutal deaths, there's emotional reunions. Uh, it's really a story that's got everything and you can see why the story of Joseph and the brothers has been made into movies and, and musicals. Uh, you might have actually seen that the story of Joseph was in the news this week. 
Uh, there's a big new production coming to Melbourne later this year. Joseph and the, uh, what is it, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, uh, the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. Uh, and it was in the news this week because they just announced that Shane Crawford, who used to play footy for Hawthorne, uh, is going to be starring in the musical, playing, uh, playing the role of Pharaoh. It sounds like something I'm making up, isn't it? But it's, Google it, it's true. Um, it was in the news because apparently the, the acting fraternity in Melbourne felt really offended that they would put in a star footy player just to sell tickets rather than actually get, you know, an actual actor, um, which, which is... Which is Probably fair enough, I would say. But, um, you know, the story of Joseph, it's a gripping story, a well-known story that is well-loved. And, and of course, you know, I should say there might be some of us here that that don't um, know the story of Joseph. That's okay, too. If if that is you, I would suggest uh, it'd be so useful to go and read through the story of Joseph uh, this week. It's only 14 chapters and it's it's gripping, so it's pretty easy to read. It it doesn't take very long. Uh, And that would be a good thing, actually, for all of us to do, wouldn't it, if we haven't done that recently? Uh, but the story of Joseph, it is a gripping story, it is a well-known story, it is a well-loved story. Uh, but you know what I don't think the story of Joseph is? Well, I don't think the story of Joseph is a very well-understood story. It's a gripping story, it's well-known, but I don't think it's very well-understood. And uh, perhaps, perhaps I'm wrong about that, maybe people understand it a lot better than uh, I do, but uh, I, I can speak for myself. I've known the story for a long, long time, uh, but it's only in the last few weeks as I've sort of read it, studied it closely, as I've asked questions like, okay, why is this actually here in God's Word? What is, it, what is it trying to teach us about God? What's it trying to teach us about this world that we're living in and about us? Uh, it's only in asking some of those questions that I think, you know, for the first time I've realised that uh, this story is perhaps, uh, the point of this story is perhaps a little bit different than what I thought it was. It's actually a story that takes us right to the very heart of what Christianity is all about. And today particularly, it's a story that shows us how much we need to admit our weakness. A bit like I should have done at the beach that time, how much I needed to cry out for help. Uh, I think this story shows up us how much we need to cry out for God's help. It's a story that shows us that we need to go to God for his salvation. A story that ultimately shows us how much we need Jesus. I doubt that's what Shane Crawford's going to have in mind when he, uh, he puts on the show later this year, but uh, that's what I'm hoping we'll see. Uh, as we read the story and think about it over the next couple of weeks. So as we think about the story today, four questions for us to, to ask. Uh, pretty, pretty simple, I think, just kind of asking about some of the different characters. Uh, here are my four questions for today. Uh, number one, what is Joseph doing? Number two, what are the brothers doing? Number three, what's God doing? Uh, and then finally, uh, the last question that's good to ask, what should we take away? Uh, so four questions, pretty simple. First of all, what Joseph, what's Joseph doing? Uh, let's have a little think about the character of Joseph. Uh, now, one of the ways as we come to the story of Joseph and, and the brothers, one of the ways that uh, often Joseph is thought of is uh, that people think of Joseph as a bit of a spoiled brat. Yeah, you, you get that? I, I don't know if that's what you thought as we were reading the story out, if, if kind of that's your first impression of Joseph. Um, but even right at the start here, um, uh, this is just in the very second verse, uh, Joseph was tending the flocks uh, and he brought his father a bad report about him. That's, you know, about them. That's how the, that's how the story starts. Joseph kind of being a bit of a dibber to his brothers. Uh, and then uh, verse 3, uh, Israel, who, who is, who's Jacob, that's his other name. Uh, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. So um, Joseph, he's a bit of a dibber He's the favourite. He gets fancier clothes than his, his siblings. He's doted on. Um, and, I, you know, I think as, as Australians, you know, we kind of don't like this stuff, do we? You know, we, we kind of, you know, you're walking around with your fancy cloak like you're better than everyone else. You know, that's kind of not what we sort of respect as Australians. Uh, and, then, and then things just kind of seem to get worse and worse with these dreams. Joseph has these two dreams. The first one is in here in verse 6. 
uh, listened to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered round and bowed down to it. Hmm, okay. And then uh, the second dream, verse 9, I listened, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars are bowing down to me. Wow. I mean, what is Joseph doing here? Where does this guy get off? Uh, we, you know, we, we here in Australia, you know, we, we of course have that tall poppy thing going on. I mean, we wouldn't like it if the Prime Minister came and asked us to bow, would we? Let alone one of our siblings uh, kind of implying that we should bow to him. Jeepers. So, okay, I don't know what you think. You know, you, you, I don't know if you think, you know, you're kind of resonating with this. You're thinking that Joseph's a bit of a spoiled brat. Um, but on the other hand, I actually, I think... We can understand why we might get that impression, but I actually think I'd like to suggest this morning that this kind of negative, bratty sort of picture we might get of Joseph actually isn't really what the Bible text uh, is trying to lead us to. Of course, it does depend on kind of the tone of what we've just read, doesn't it? And you can take it different ways. Um, just, you know, as, a, as one example, the Joseph musical that, that is getting put on later in Melbourne this year, um, in the musical, when you get to those dreams, Joseph is sort of dancing and singing around and sort of bragging to his brothers about, oh, look at me, you're all going to bow down to me, um, I'm so much better than you. But, um, you know, you could take it a different way as well. I sat down a few weeks ago and I watched, um, there's a DreamWorks animated Joseph movie, I sat down and watched it with Lucy, uh, the, my daughter, the other, the other week, uh, for research purposes, of course. Uh, but... But in the, movie, in the movie, it's completely the opposite. Joseph's very mild-mannered, and he doesn't especially kind of even want to tell his brothers the dream. And he's not bragging. He's just kind of confused about what the dreams mean. So it kind of does depend on the tone of what we're reading, doesn't it? But um, you think about things like Joseph, at the start, they're bringing a bad report of his brothers. And you kind of, you know, at first you think, oh, okay, bit of a dibba-dobba. But then you think, actually, I don't have to go very far in the book of Genesis to see that Joseph's brothers were a pretty uh, bad lot. Um, it's only only three chapters earlier in Genesis 34 that Simeon and Levi, two of the brothers, have gone on a revenge killing spree through a local village. So, you know, perhaps a wrong, a bad report about Joseph's brothers isn't actually a very inaccurate thing to bring. And could it be that uh, Joseph brings that bad report quite fairly and rightly? Could it even be that when when Joseph bring that brings that bad report, that perhaps that's the reason why Jacob gives him this uh, this ornate robe, this this multicolored sort of fancy fancy robe, maybe Jacob is kind of finally relieved that he's got a son that actually uh, has some integrity. And then you can think about the dreams and, you know, we can understand why the brothers don't like the dreams, but through Genesis we've actually seen a number of times that God does speak through dreams. You know, he spoke to Jacob uh, only a few chapters earlier again, he spoke to Jacob in chapter 31, Uh, he revealed a secret to Jacob about uh, how he could get more sheep off Laban. So, you know, this this family has a history of God speaking to them through dreams. Again, this seems to be here in, in chapter 37, God revealing something about Joseph. And so, you know, wouldn't the brothers have done better to actually, given their family history, listen to the dream and maybe consider the dream? That's what Jacob does, um, rather than just get angry about it. I, I think at least as readers, we are meant to be reading this and actually, rather than seeing J, uh, Joseph as a spoiled brat, I think we're actually meant to be seeing here that Joseph is chosen by God. You know, you see the dreams, you see... Jacob's reaction, keeping it in mind. We're given the information as readers right from the start that Joseph has been chosen by God. He's chosen by God to rule. He's God's chosen ruler. Uh, So I think we should be careful about uh, reading this story too negatively here. Uh, Yeah, Joseph might might be a little bit of a goody two-shoes, but it's pretty clear that Joseph is God's man. He's chosen by God, and we are given that information right from the start. 
And we're also going to see that play out, play out, of course, over the rest of the story, aren't we? All through the story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph shows remarkable godliness, remarkable integrity. When he goes to Egypt as a slave, he's hardworking, he's trustworthy. Uh, when Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, you get to look at that story in growth groups this week. Uh, when Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, he refuses to be tempted. Even when he's thrown in jail, uh, well, that's where we're going to pick up the story next week. Joseph is still very much God's man. He's still trusting. He's still living with integrity. He's still living for God. And I think having that idea about Joseph, I think that actually brings us to the first mistake we can make about trying to understand this story properly. Because I think we can look at Joseph and we can think, oh, you know, he's such a good guy and he suffers so unfairly and I know what that feel, feels like, I know what it is to be the victim. You know, those stupid brothers, why couldn't they just leave him alone? I don't know if you, you, you feel yourself asking and feeling those things as you read the story. Uh, we can actually find that we start identifying with Joseph, kind of putting ourselves in Joseph's shoes, thinking that we're a bit like Joseph. You know, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be mistreated. Uh, I know what it feels like to be the good guy and everyone's always out to get me down. Uh, but I actually think that's not what the story is trying to get us to think. Uh, there, was a, there was a British reality TV show uh, a couple of, a few, few years ago, about, about 10 years ago, it was called Any Dream Will Do. Uh, here it is. It uh, looks great, doesn't it? It was, a, it was sort of a bit like The Voice or Australian Idol or, or something like that. Um, the idea of the show was that people would try and compete and actually what they were competing for was the chance uh, to play Joseph on, on the West End in London. Uh, the whole show, it's, it's all online. You can go watch the whole show on, on YouTube. Uh, I watched an episode this week. Uh, it's all about trying to find this, this, this young, young man who's going to be able to play Joseph in the musical. Uh, right at the start, Andrew Lloyd Webber, he's in the show, and he says he wants to find a Joseph who's fresh, diverse, young, and poppy. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the Joseph he's going for. Um, so, so there you go. It's truly, truly awful television. I couldn't recommend any more strongly that you stay away, actually. Um, but th- this is the tagline of the show. You could be Joseph. That's, that's the tagline of the show. That's the, that's the big advertisement. You could be Joseph. Well, actually, what I want to tell you today is that I think the real point of the, the Joseph story is the exact opposite of that. I think the real point of the Joseph story is that we couldn't be Joseph. Because to be Joseph, you don't need to be poppy or fresh or young or good-looking. You need to follow God with perfect integrity. And through Genesis, Joseph is the exception. Through Genesis, we've seen broken person after broken person, sinful person after sinful person, and they're all very relatable. There's, there's you know, plenty of people we can associate with, with the book of, in the book of Genesis. But then Joseph comes along, I think he's the exception. In fact, I think if we want to see ourselves in this story, I think we'll see much more of ourselves as we think about our second point, the brothers. Let's have a think about point two. What are the brothers doing? Um, we, we can imagine as we come to the brothers what the brothers might have felt like in today's story, right? You know, it's not very nice to have uh, your parents favour your other siblings rather than you. I, I can remember a few years ago, um, my, my parents have always, always been very generous parents. They've always been very generous to us as kids and uh, they've taken us on some great holidays and different things. Uh, and a few years ago, my parents took my siblings on a trip uh, to the Tour de France. My dad's big into cycling and uh, so they went off to watch the Tour de France um, with, with my dad and a couple of my siblings. Um, and Annika and I, I think, I think we couldn't get a time off work and, and for whatever reason we decided that we wouldn't go on the, on the holiday and we you know, kind of made that choice, we were okay with that. Um, but it pretty, felt pretty brutal when we were sitting at home um, in the cold Adelaide winter, um, just trying to stay warm. 
And then you're getting messages from Europe with my siblings sitting on a beach in the south of France, having nice drinks, getting treated really nicely by my parents. Uh, It's not very nice when you feel like your parents, when your siblings are being treated uh, better than you. You know, and Joseph's brothers, they're, you know, they're jealous, they're they're angry, but still there's no excuse for what they do to Joseph, is it? You know, they take their brother, they bully him, they throw him in a pit, they sell him into slavery, they pretend that he's dead... It's a horrible, wicked thing to do. And it does, um, even just as Jenny was reading it, it does, I think, seem like one of those situations that, um, you know, the situations that kind of seem like they get out of hand before you even realise it. You know, at first they almost seem to be slightly more joking around, I think, you know, and they don't kill him at first, they just kind of throw him in the pit and, and some of them seem to think they're just going to pull him out of the pit a bit later and just say, oh, you know, it was all a big joke. Um, but you can kind of imagine, you know, one of the brothers eggs the others on and then another one takes it a step further and kind of all the other brothers, maybe they're not instigators, but they're just sort of standing around egging everyone else on. Um, and then, you know, it just so happens that right at that time, the slave traders coming past and someone has the idea to sell Joseph off into slavery. And to me, it, you know, they, they do a wicked thing, but it almost seems like they, uh, they haven't even realised what they're doing until they've done it. And sin can, sin can certainly be like that sometimes. Sometimes we can surprise ourselves with the awful things that we might end up doing. And now we might think, okay, these brothers, they're awful, they're terrible people, we're nothing like those brothers, I could never be anything like those brothers. But I think we might actually be surprised by what those feelings of jealousy and hate could lead us to do if we found ourselves in the, in the wrong situation. And although we like to believe the best about ourselves, we should keep reminding ourselves, even just what the statistics tell us about just how much violence and brokenness there are uh, in the communities around us. Violence and and brokenness is not as far away as we might think. I think the story of Joseph actually wants us to look at these brothers and see ourselves. And why do I think that? Well, for one thing, you think about the original hearers of this story, the Israelites, how, how would the original heroes, the Israelites, have heard this story? Because the 12 brothers, they became the 12 tribes of Israel. So if you're hearing this story as an Israelite, you're not thinking, oh, I'm Joseph and these guys are all evil. You're thinking, this is my family. You know, these are my ancestors. This is where I belong. This, this, this is what I'm like. And it must have been tempting for the Israelites as they retold this story. Uh, don't you reckon it would have been tempting to sort of airbrush the story a little bit and and make their ancestors look a little bit better than they did, but uh, they certainly don't seem to do that, do they? They seem to just tell the honest, brutal account of what these brothers were like, and if you want proof of that, you can go and read uh, Genesis 38, the next chapter that we're not going to get to do here at church, but uh, Genesis 38, it's mostly about one of the brothers, Judah. Um, This is what Judah does. He ends up sleeping with his daughter-in-law, impregnating her, then he wants to put her to death for having sex outside of marriage, until it finally gets exposed that he's the one who impregnated her in the first place. You know, it's about as shocking as you get. These brothers do not come off as particularly good or godly characters. But what's sobering for us is that actually these brothers are meant to be the picture of what we're like, of what humanity's like. You think about what the brothers have done in the story today. They have chosen to reject Joseph. They've chosen to reject God's ruler. They've rejected God's rule. It's, it's actually the sin of Genesis 3 all over again. It's the sin of Adam and Eve. It's the sin of all humanity rejecting the rule of God, not wanting God to be in control of our lives. It's just the same sin, the sin of humanity played out in yet another situation. And so as we read this, I don't think we should be thinking, I could be Joseph. 
I think we should be thinking, well, actually, these brothers, that's who I belong to. Actually, in the right situation, I could very well be one of these brothers. And we might be, we need to be careful. I think we can easily start thinking, oh, look at Joseph, look at how he suffers. You know, isn't life so hard? Isn't life so brutal? Isn't the world so broken? Isn't it so sad? And that's all very true, all very good things to take away. But don't forget whose fault this all is, because we're not Joseph. We're part of the ones who are responsible. So let's ask our third question then, what's God doing? We can do this one fairly quickly. You might have noticed, actually, as we read in the story today, uh, God is actually not mentioned at all. Did you notice that? Uh, but I think this question, this, this third question, is still a good question to ask. Uh, I can imagine Joseph probably was asking that question as he was thrown in that pit and as he was carried off as a slave to Egypt. You know, what's, what's God doing here? And, and Joseph, you know, he'd had the dreams. He was thinking, God's going to make me a ruler. And instead, he suddenly found himself in the bottom of a pit, sold as a slave. And God seems to be nowhere to be found. So what's God doing? Well, we as the reader actually know the answer to that, don't we? Yeah, Joseph might have felt like God was nowhere to be found, like he was just being abandoned. But we actually, as the reader, we know that God is actually working behind the scenes. We know, if we know the story, that it turns out Joseph's been taken to Egypt for a very good reason, that it's exactly what God had planned. It's in Egypt that Joseph is going to be raised up. It's in Egypt that Joseph's going to be able to save everyone from the famine that we're going to be looking at next week. And as we look closely, we can actually, even though God's not mentioned, we can actually see in today's story just how active God is. There are all sorts of things in the story that we had read out, all sorts of things that kind of might seem like coincidences at first. Um, Joseph goes off to find his brothers and he just kind of happens to meet a man who happens to be able to tell him exactly where the brothers are and the brothers throw him in the pit just at the right time when the merchants happen to be coming by who happen to be going off to Egypt. And the story kind of seems to go out of its way to, to include some of those details that, that at first glance don't really seem necessary. But I think the only answer to why those details are in there is that the story is trying to show us that everything is happening just as it was meant to. Because you look at all these things and you think, well, what would have happened if, if Joseph didn't happen to find his brothers that day or if the merchants weren't coming past right at that time, if everything didn't come together right like, just like that? Well, Joseph never would have gone to Egypt. He never would have been raised up to a high position. The famine would have come and there would have been no one to prepare them for it. 20 years later, everyone would be dead. So God might feel absent in the chapter, but what we can see as the reader is that God is working. God is controlling everything. God is making sure everything happened just as it needed to. Remarkably, God's even using their terrible sin, which is kind of a weird concept and something we're going to keep coming back to over the next couple of weeks, but God is using their terrible sin, which, you know, their sin was inexcusable, but God somehow is taking their sin and working it for good. Somehow he's taking Joseph right where he needs to be. So we ask, what, what is God doing? Well, we can see that God is raising up his chosen ruler. He's raising up his chosen ruler, taking his ruler to the place where he needs to be, to the place where his chosen ruler can end up being the saviour that everybody needs. So what's Joseph doing? What are the brothers doing? What's God doing? I think that's our story. Let's try and bring it home then. What should we then, sitting here a couple of 3,000 years later, what should we be taking away as we read this story. I, I said at the start that I think the story of Joseph is, is gripping and well-known, but it's not necessarily very well understood. I wonder then what, we sh- what, what should we be taking away from a story like this? 
Of course, whenever we come to a, a Bible story, there's always lots of sort of moral lessons we could take away that are true, you know. Probably we can learn lessons about parenting from Jacob, you know, don't just favour one child, you know, that tends for, to, to make things work out better. We could perhaps go even a bit further than that and we could say, okay, you have the brothers and you have Joseph, you know, we should be not like the brothers and we should be like Joseph. I think, you know, that sounds pretty legitimate as well, but at the same time, as I've argued, I'm not sure we're actually meant to be seeing ourselves as Joseph. So what, what then should we be taking away? What about this? We've seen that Joseph is God's man, God's chosen ruler. We've seen that God in the story is raising up Joseph to be his chosen ruler, that his chosen ruler is going to bring salvation. We've seen that if we're in the story, you know, if we can see ourselves in the story, that the place to see ourselves is actually in Joseph's brothers. Well, I think you put all these things together and I think what we should take away is how much we need God's chosen ruler, how much we need God's chosen saviour. Uh, the brothers, Joseph's brothers, they're pretty awful, aren't they? they uh, they're, they're brutal, they're violent, they reject God's chosen ruler. Uh, and we, you know, we, we can see in some ways that we're right there with them. You know, we prayed it in communion this morning. God, we've sinned against you in thought, word and deed. But the thing about these brothers, yeah, they're pretty awful. The thing about the brothers as the story plays out is when they realise their predicament, when the famine comes, they do eventually come back to God's chosen ruler, Joseph. They come to Joseph. They ask Joseph for forgiveness. They ask Joseph for food. They ask Joseph for salvation. They come and they bow the knee to Joseph. It's a far cry from them laughing in his dreams at the start of the story. They repent. They turn back to God's chosen ruler. They turn back to Joseph and they serve him. And they did it because eventually they realized just how much they needed Joseph. They realized just how much they needed God's chosen ruler. Just how much they needed God's chosen saviour. And so I think the question this passage is asking us is do we know how much we need God's chosen ruler? Do we know how much we need God's chosen saviour? Will we come to his chosen ruler, Jesus, and bow the knee before him? Now, I think it's so easy to think about our lives and act a bit like I did in the, in the beach, you know, in the story that I told at the start, to think, you know, I don't need help that badly. I don't want to show weakness. I can handle this. I'm pretty good as I am. And at one level, I think that's kind of a pretty just natural way to think. We, we, we probably think that way because we like to think we're a little bit better than we are. We like to think we're just trying to kind of do our best to enjoy life and, and live well. But I think today's story is actually here to shock us a little bit. In the brothers, we're given this stark, brutal picture of just how sinful is the human heart. You know, we see the brothers egg each other on. Some of them are instigators. Some of them are just complicit. I think as we read it, it should make our skin crawl a little bit. It's meant to remind us that we aren't just innocent bystanders. I mean, we could give all sorts of examples for this. You know, we've, we've, we've seen today Joseph being sold into slavery and we could, we could ask, well, you know, it's 3,000 years later, but still we know that slavery and exploiting people is still something that happens all over the world and we know that here in Australia we've benefited a lot from that over the centuries and we, you know, we might not be instigators, but it would be hard to argue that we're at least not complicit in some of the mistreatment that people suffer around the world. I was thinking of all sorts of different examples this week. Um, we don't talk about this very much, but we could talk about the pornography industry. We know that pornography is so, so popular in our city today, and we know that uh, most people probably go and watch pornography thinking that it's not hurting anyone. Uh, but at the same time, any amount of research will show you that uh, the porn industry causes massive amounts of child exploitation, massive amounts of human trafficking all around the world. And it's not just statistics. That's real people uh, getting, getting hurt, getting taken away from home, uh, getting, getting mistreated. 
Or I can think about things like maybe domestic violence. It's so easy to think that, you know, we're, we're all pretty good people and you kind of think the best of people, but you look at the stats and we see that this is a huge problem in our communities, that violence, that people being mistreated is not as far away as we think. And actually the stats tell us, don't they, that uh, things like domestic violence are just as bad as in the church as they are uh, outside. We might ask the question, have we done enough to try and protect uh, the mistreated people in our society? And of course, this can make us feel pretty down. But on the other hand, it's so easy to think that we don't need Jesus that badly. Well, today we can be reminded that we're much more like Joseph's brothers than we realise. And so what we should do then is, like Joseph's brothers, we should be thankful that God chose to raise up a ruler, a saviour. You know, the brothers probably didn't deserve to be saved, But God had made promises to their family. He'd made promises of blessing and his promises are sure. And he stands by his promises. And so he chose to raise up Joseph and he used Joseph to bring the salvation that they need. What do you think we should take away today? Well, I think today's passage should cause us, like the brothers, to come to God's chosen ruler. It should cause us to come to Jesus. Here at church, of course, we always have a real mixture of people here on a Sunday morning. Some of us are here checking out Jesus. Some of us here uh, have trusted in Jesus for for some amount of time. Some of us uh, perhaps are wrestling with whether we are trusting in Jesus. Some of us have trusted in Jesus uh, for a really long time, for decades maybe. And today's passage can obviously hit us in all sorts of different ways. It might be that up until now we've we've kind of liked Jesus and we've been happy to hear about Jesus, but what's been missing is that realisation of just how actually urgently and how desperately we need Jesus. Or on the other hand, it might be that we know we've trusted in Jesus for a long, long time and that this is more of a reminder. But this is something we need to be reminded of again and again, isn't it? We really, really, really need Jesus. Now, it's one of the reasons we take the Lord's Supper like we, like we did this morning. Um, every time we take the Lord's Supper, we're reminded, you know, his body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. And, you know, one of the reasons we eat and drink at the Lord's Supper is because we're reminded that we need Jesus like we need food and drink. And question for us today, do we know how much we need Jesus? Will we, like the brothers, keep coming back back again and again and again to God's chosen ruler? Why don't we finish there as we ask that question this morning? I'm not going to pray for us this morning. I'm going to ask our band to come up. Uh, We're going to sing a great song together now. I thought actually this song could be a great way of finishing off what we're talking about today. Uh, A great prayer that we could pray together. It's a song that we can sing to Jesus. Rock of ages, cleft for me, simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress, helpless look to you for grace. Stained by sin, to you I cry, wash me, Saviour, or I die. Why don't we stand? Let's sing to Jesus together. We know we need his salvation.